Greetings in Jesus' precious name. Where would our faith be if we would not have the Lord Jesus? <laughs> I want to really bless Warren back there for his message. Um, I don't know if you caught the irony of one of his statements he made. Arise safely at death. <laughs> That's an oxymoron. Safely at death. But I know what he meant. He made a point. I thought of that man that went in the lion with the uh, into the pit with the lion. I uh, don't have his name right now, but that man was not a novice anymore. Just think about that a little bit too. He knew what he could do with that spear. He was a tried man. He had fought some battles. And he knew how to battle. At some point in his life, he dreamed some dreams. And at some point in his life, he began to put those dreams into shoe leather like we heard. And at some point, he began to get the experience and uh, hardness and uh, strategy and all those things that come with having a dream that's put into shoe leather. I have had dreams when I was younger, and I heard older men dream, and I thought I could just get up and do the same thing. And I found out I couldn't. <laughs> you can't get a young man, unless you have a David like a shepherd boy, of course he does in the faith of his God, but generally, as a young man, you don't go into a pit with a lion. You earn the right to do that. But it does take that dream does take that faith in God. Not a reckless faith, but a true faith. So I was challenged this morning. I really was. I was challenged this last week, too. We were out at the uh, Kingdom Discipleship for Ministers meetings in Western Ohio. They have that. This is the fourth year they've had it. Burn Christian Fellowship is the sponsor of it, but they get speakers from other areas in. And it's held at a camp grove a lot like where we're going next weekend, Mount Zion Camp Grove. you got your main tabernacle, and then you have lots of little cottages, and then you have a eating hall and that kind of thing. A lot like that. One difference is out there, everything was flat. Was flat, flat. <laughs> They're open, those meetings are open to any Anabaptist type ministers or deacons or elders or missionaries. And um, there were quite a bit, 
quite a significant different kinds of groups represented there from different areas. I, for one, like to hear accents. Everybody has one but me. And and uh, John Braun from Northern Alberta. He's from the old colony Mennonites. And then we had people from the south. And then we had, uh, well, um, let me see. One of them was... Uh, And El- Elmdorf, I think I've written down here. What's his name there? Um, yeah, Gary Gary Wartz from Elmendorf. Is that how it's pronounced? Okay, he was there with his excellent Hutterite accent and his exuberance and all that. John Winant was there. You remember that man that was at a fellowship weekend a couple years ago? Um he was there, and uh, there were actually a few Amish there, some Beachy Amish, and var- uh, a variety of people from the charity-derived churches. And Carl Schwarzentrooper and many others. Aaron Hurst was there, about 85 men, plus some who dropped in for a day. So we had a week there, a week of preaching purpose of the meeting was, of course, to uh, minister to, uh, to the leaders in the church charged with caring for God's flock. And the theme verse was Acts twenty twenty two. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and unto all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Emphasis was taking heed to yourselves. Pay special attention to yourself. Any leader, parent, older siblings, wherever you are in your sphere of your sphere of influence, take heed to yourself. Because how can you take care of others? If you're not in touch or in tune with God yourself, that was the theme of the week. Whether you are in Tanzania, whether you are SOL, whether you are in the home, whether you're teaching school, anything. I, for one, had a message about two-thirds done before the week started. And as I went through this week, I realized... God's not leading me that way at all. I put the message aside. I don't know if I ever pick that one up or not. So God worked on my heart, plus on top of the fact that there's communion service this evening, I thought it would be very appropriate to have a different message this morning. Dale Heisey said, he asked the question, do you ever preach the same message twice? He asked that question. Then he said, The second message should not be the same as the first because it should reflect what God has done in your heart from the time you preached it the first time to the time you preached it the next time. Your heart should not be at the same place. God should have moved in your heart. And so I put that message aside and I thought, even if my time is shorter up here, I'm going to share what God has done in my heart this week. Why don't we just stand for a word of prayer?
and let's commit the service to the Lord. Yes, Father, as we come and stand before you, Lord, this morning, we ask you, Lord, to minister to our hearts where we are at, each one of us here this morning. Lord, you are the Lord of the church. You have purchased us with your own blood. You have a vested interest in us this morning, and I ask you, Lord, this morning, you would speak to each one of us for your purposes, Lord. Whether we need encouragement, Lord, encourage us. Whether we need direction, do that, Lord. Whatever we need, Lord, we ask you to minister to us. Lord, I'm only asking, and I'm sure, Lord, I'm asking in your will. So I pray in Jesus' name you would move here this morning. For that purpose. And Lord, I pray you would use me, Lord, as your spokesperson, Lord, with the right words and the right heart to minister your word. So we look to you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Another verse that became a key verse is in Jeremiah 13:20. You can turn to that verse if you wish. Jeremiah 13:20. And this is actually where the title of this message comes out of. For you who need a title back there. Lift up your eyes and behold them that come from the north. Where is the flock that was given thee, thy beautiful flock? The title of the message is, Where is thy beautiful flock? In this context here, judgment was coming. It was coming from the north. And it was coming on the people of God. The shepherds and judges of Israel had failed the people. The shepherds and the judges of Israel had not warned the people. They had given them what the people wanted to hear. And they said peace when there was no peace. They said everything's going to be okay. They said the Babylonians are going to turn back. Everything's going to be okay. But here are the enemies coming. And he asked the question, where is the flock that was given thee, thy beautiful flock, right now at the verge of judgment? And that was given to us at the meetings. Think home, ministers. Where is your flock? Where is your flock that you receive to take care of? Is it beautiful? Is it still beautiful? Has it been nurtured? Has it been fed? Has it been cared for? Or is it the opposite? Is it scattered? Is it confused? How are your sheep doing, shepherd? Have you, shepherd, been in the presence of God so that you can take care of your sheep? Or are they scattered and hungry? How should we answer to that? What do you think, God? 
So I guess, as I think, the biggest area that God spoke to me was my own walk with God, especially my prayer life. You know, we need to have separate preparation time. My family knows that when I preach on Sunday and Saturday, there is parts of the day I'm not around. Sermon preparation time. What about preacher preparation time? Which is the most important? Which is most essential? Sermon preparation or preacher preparation? And it's preacher preparation. It is. Do you preacher? I'm gonna, you, you apply it to yourself now also. I'm talking to myself. Do you have a prayer ministry or do you have a public speaking ministry? When you speak, do your listeners get a piece of your mind or do they get a piece of your heart that was touched by God? David Allspaugh said he greets the children in his congregation by name. I don't know if they actually stand in the back of the church and shake hands with everybody. I'm not sure how they do there. But he greets every one of the children in their congregation by name. That's interesting. Good. They know all his children by name. I thought, that's great. I don't. But then he said something that astounded me more. He said, I pray for those children every day. Oh, wow. <clears throat> I pray them by name every day. Dale Heisey had messages all morning long that were focused on to change, if needed, our relationship with God, to change our relationship with God to a relationship with our God. There is a difference, a relationship with God or a relationship with our God, personal An unbeliever does not know God. We know God. He has redeemed us. We have been born again. But do we know him as our God? Has he become personal, really personal with us? You know, often we live as if we don't have our own God. We have our problems. And we try to deal with our problems of life, whatever they are in your life, we try to deal with our problem. We respond. We try to get over them. We try to fix them. We talk to other people about our problems. We moan and we groan and we get discouraged about our problems. But we act as if we don't have a God as our own God. God knew your problem before you did. He was there before you got there. Paul and Silas, when they were in that Philippian jail, they were in that jail. And at midnight, well, they were, they were whipped, then they were chained, and the gates were shut, and they were in that jail. And at midnight, they began to pray 
and praise God. Now, why did they do that? They didn't know at that point that anything was going to happen. They didn't know that the, the ground was going to shake and their chains would come off and the doors would be opened and the jailer would get converted. They didn't know any of that. None of that. All they knew is they were in uncomfortable position in a jail. But they knew one thing. They knew they were there with God, their God. They were there with their own God, and they knew that. And so they worshipped their God. They knew they were there in God's will, in jail. God was not only interested in their circumstances, he was involved in their circumstances. And there's a difference again there, a subtle difference, and yet it's a major difference. Is God interested in me, or is he involved in me? Is God involved in your circumstances? Do you really rejoice and worship him in all things? Why would we? Because God is here, right in your situation, right now. As, as Dale Heisey said, said, give God your machete. He might handle it better than you do <laughs> when it comes to your problems and we try to fix them. You know, it's been a fairly major reality check for me. It was time for me to stop. Stop before God, go no further, take off my shoes, and worship God. It was time for me to do that. The effectiveness of any minister is his reality of the worship of his God. The next main thing God spoke to me is in how we relate to one another. One of the speakers said, I don't remember which one it was, I just remember it being said, that in a teacher's manual, an old teacher's manual, that was used to teach new teacher's skills, had this thought in it. It said, um, it taught this, every child will have a teacher that was their best teacher. Every child will have a teacher that was their best teacher. And the challenge was given, are you going to be that teacher? And then he said, every Christian is going to have a pastor that was their best pastor. Are you going to be that pastor? Are you going to be the one that drew them to God the most? Are you that pastor? Obviously, we only have one parent, so we're not going to have our best parents. But you can put yourself there in whatever situation you find yourself. There are a few verses that describe the Father heart of God. You can turn to Psalms 103. Psalms 103, verses 13 and 14. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. Dale, 
gave the illustration out of these verses that he had told he was in his house there in Costa Rica. His children were younger and smaller. And he told them to go out and do something. I don't know what it was. He didn't say what it was. But they were put to go do something. Something hard. And then he went into his study. He's going to prepare probably for a message. And this is one of the first verses he came to. Like as a father pitieth his children. And he thought, you know what? I just left my children and I was not pitying them for what they had to do. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. The father heart of God, the father heart of God pitieth his children. He knew his spirit was wrong. He did not have the heart of the father God. He ran out to where they were working, and I don't know if I remember what he did, whether he helped them or corrected or whatever he did, but he uh, acknowledged his wrong heart. The Father heart of God. Do I have it? Do you have it? Do I know God in such a way that I have it? So I do wrong. I sin. I grieve God. And what does he do? He pities us. In pity, he... disciplines us in pity he binds our wounds up my brother does wrong as perceived by me and what do I do point the finger or the tongue now when I mean pointed tongue I'm not mean sticking a tongue out I mean using it I stamp my feet or grit my teeth We need to respond. But we should take it to the Lord first. And maybe it should just stay there for a while. Do your people feel the Father heart of God in you? Are you known for your gentleness and meekness? And you understand that's talking to me. It goes further than that. You understand that. You can apply that. For the rest of the morning, I want to summarize a challenge that Paul Weaver gave to us. He uh, had a message, is God still with us? You know, God was with the children of Israel when they went around Jericho. When they went around Jericho and the walls came down, God was with the children of Israel. And then a few weeks later, they had to go to this little town called Ai, and and they went, and God wasn't with them. Is God with us? God wanted to be with Israel. God wanted to prosper his people, but he was not always with his people. And why not? And let's put it here at the church. Is he here with us at Oasis corporately? The question you can ask. It's okay to ask that question. What brings the presence of God into a congregation? What hinders the presence of God in a congregation? 
in Revelation, the present, uh, each church had a candlestick. Each church had an angel, which means the minister of the church probably. And each church had a candlestick. That candlestick represented the light of God in that church. And when God says, I will take away that candlestick, he says, I will withdraw from you. I will withdraw my presence from you. A church without God, can there be such a thing? Yeah, there can be a church without God. Could there be things in our congregation that block the presence of God? Could there be things in my life that block the presence of God in this congregation? What causes God to want to be here? As we look into heaven, there are glimpses that we get. We see in heaven, the presence of God is the central reality of heaven. That's the central reality of heaven, is the presence of God. There's lots of things in heaven, but the central reality is the presence of God. <clears throat> and God should be the central reality of his people as they gather together. So there are four things that surround God in heaven. And we'll, we'll go through all these four things for the rest of the message. Number one, holiness is all around him. Well, if you don't get these points, we'll come to them later. Number two, light is all around him. Three, oneness is all around him. Number four, all the glory goes to him. That's what you see in heaven. The presence of God is there, and those are the realities. So let's look at number one. Number one, holiness is all around him. Let's turn to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter six, a very familiar verse. Verses there. Isaiah 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voices of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Holiness is all around God. And those Seraphim, and you can go into Revelation, and you see the beast, and it's holy. Everything in, in heaven is holy. God is holy, of that is no doubt. God is holy. We look at Jesus, and we look at how he met the sinners. He does. He pities his children, the Lord Jesus came and condescended into unholiness to meet with us. That is true. 
But let us not presume on the mercy and the pity of God when it comes to holiness in his people. When Jesus came into the temple and it was unholy, he cleaned it out. He cleaned the temple. In Revelation, there in those churches, chapters 2 and 3, he, um, he said to those churches, unless you do certain things, I'm going to remove myself from you. So holiness is a reality of heaven. And God, wherever God is, is holiness. So we want God's presence in this place. Holiness needs to be in this place. Well, we've been born again here at Oasis. Praise the Lord. We've been washed in the blood. The Spirit's come into us. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's encouraging. I'm blessed. I am blessed. God will surely want to be here because of that. And that's a blessing. But there's more. I'm also going to read one verse in Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15. God, we want God's presence, okay? For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, the one that is in heaven, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the hearts of the contrite ones. God wants to be among his people without a doubt. Am I, because of where I am at, one of the reasons he wants to be here? Or do I personally hinder the presence of God here? Am I holy because I am separated unto God and have said goodbye to the world? You know, that's not meant to discourage anyone. It's good for us to Ask yourself that question. How is my heart? Is my heart the kind of heart that God likes to be in? And then is our heart collectively that way? Psalm sixteen eleven says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Fullness of joy. God's presence. And there's joy there. Pure religion and undefiled is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their afflictions and to keep thyself unspotted from the world. Okay, number two. So the first one is holiness is all around. He dwells where there's holiness. Number two, light is all around. Revelation chapter 22, verses 3 to 5. Light is all around him. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there. They need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. As we think of heaven, we think of the 
uncreated light that is in heaven, it's light that's uncreated. All other light is created. But in heaven, there's uncreated light and there's no darkness. In fact, it says there's no darkness at all in John, 1 John chapter 1. God can look all around him and he sees no darkness. There's none. In fact, he doesn't see any dark closets. If God is anywhere, darkness leaves. Because light and darkness don't mix. If God's presence is here, darkness goes away. If darkness insists on staying, just turn it the other way around, God can't, won't come. God won't come to darkness that insists on staying. Now I know we all know the, we all know that light always overpowers darkness, and it will. It will, light will overpower darkness in the end. But there is a place where we, as we seek the presence of God among us as our people, we have a choice in whether we have God's presence or not. Light. When God comes, he pierces the darkness. Light brings openness. If a church is not open to God or to each other, it will die. If we come here on a Sunday morning and keep our hearts to ourselves, God's presence will not flow. If we have a brother's meeting without openness, God does not move. Can we say that? Or light or darkness. If God is there, he will break down barriers between us. He will bring light, joy, and freedom. He's, God has healing. When God comes, he has healing in his wings. That's what the scripture says. He binds up the brokenhearted. If God is there, he binds up the brokenhearted. And he lets the captive go free. If he's not there, it's the opposite. Now, do we need the presence of God? Do we need the presence of God? Can we move forward in corporate life without God? It's no wonder Moses said, if you don't go with us, I'm not going either. I'm not going to go front into that your promised land. I'm not going to get your gift unless you go with me. Walking in light brings communion with God and with each other. Now, if God is, wherever God is, he also cleans out the temple. God is in the house restoration business. That's why each of us are here. But he is also in the house cleaning business. There are some things in the house that are not restored. There are some things in the house that hey, get chucked out. you got a big bin out here. Some things get chucked out. And that needs to happen. If it's not restored, out it goes. Okay, so we have holiness is all around God. We have light all around God. Number three, oneness is all around him. 
The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one. They are united in one. There is no division. In the environment where God dwells in heaven, there is oneness. The angels are in one with the Father. The seraphim, the beast, or whatever you want to say. I remember, and I don't put, I have a little bit of check in my spirit when I hear these stories of life after death. And they come back and tell their stories. I not all, but I want to use this illustration of one man that I heard some years ago at a tent meeting at charity. As he was going up, he was telling how he had died. He was going up this here, and he was coming up to the gate, and everybody was looking at him. And then somewhere off to the side, someplace he couldn't see, somebody spoke. And he said with one, this was a, this was a massive, massive crowd of whatever it was. And with one swoop, every face turned over to that voice. Total unison. There is oneness in heaven. When God speaks, everybody, it's one. Where God dwells, there is no conflict. John chapter 17, going to read a few verses there. And maybe you want to turn to there because I would like you to see a few words here. You might think, well, I know John 17, and we do. Verse 22 and 23. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them... And thou in me, that they may be perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved me, and thou hast loved them as thou hast loved me. If you look at those verses, I'd like to ask a question. Does oneness bring the glory that's spoken of, or does the glory bring the oneness? He said, the glory which thou givest, I gave them that they may be one. Does God wait to come in his fullness till there's oneness in his people? Or does when he come bring oneness in his people? (laughs) It's the question. And does the oneness among his people then bring the glory of God and that the world may know? You know, when it comes to having the presence of God and his glory among us, clearly we have a responsibility in it. But Matthew 18, we have there where your brother sins against you, you go to him. And then we can follow that, follow God's direction. If we don't follow God's direction, or another way of saying we disobey God, we hinder his presence in our midst. Does God want us to be one here? Well, yeah. Or, well, no, maybe not. Maybe he wants us to have competition, power struggles, factions. Does God glory in disunity? 
Does God look for a good debate and then come in the middle of it and enjoy it? Well, has something to do with the spirit of it too. What do you think? Well, a word here. The last point we had was openness. God dwells where there's light, openness, so on. That means honesty. Humble, non-defensive, honest sharing of our hearts on both sides. That's what honesty or openness is. And we may discover ourselves at different places. We may do that. We would. We do do that. But God is still working there. God is there. God works there. His glory is there when there's that kind of hearts that are not defensive, not reactionary, not self-justifying, or self-protecting or distrustful. God is not there. Avoiding responses with each other. God is not there, and he will never be there. We won't change God. We can't change God. He will not be there. Galatians 5.15, But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. I talked for several hours in Ohio with two brothers in another congregation. They recounted an experience that they had in their congregation about six years ago. At that point, their church had been going probably 15 years. It's been a semi-mature church. I would say probably a mature church. And it started with lots of little families, young families, little children. And as time went on, the children grew up into the teens and adulthood. And the little differences that were in their congregation tend to get bigger when the children get bigger. I don't know if you ever noticed that or not. And so some of the disunity that had been somewhat underground came to the surface, especially in the youth and in some families. The practices and activities were becoming less holy, more loose and worldly. The elders of the congregation saw it, And so they responded by preaching, preaching about it, lifting up a standard. And then they discussed it in their brothers' meetings, and they brought things up and had discussions about it. And then they did some personal visitation individually to families and some youth. But instead of it, taking care of itself and moving forward, it actually kept getting worse. Now what do we do? On top of that, even though they had some strong messages on salvation, there were a number of youth in their congregation that were not responding. There was very little response to salvation, to God, and people getting saved. They needed to do something. They didn't know what else to do. I mean, they didn't know what to do at first. They prayed about a lot, and they actually chose to do something that they don't know of anybody that's ever done it before. I am sure people have, but they didn't know of anybody. They stopped all their regular Wednesday evening services, 
and they have brothers meeting every Wednesday evening. To address the situation, open-ended, for as long as we need to, we're going to have brothers meeting and we're going to work through these issues. They addressed the issues that were causing the disunity and the concerns. And there were five issues, and I can only remember four. Maybe someone else remembers the fifth one. But there were practical issues. There were dress, music, recreation, entertainment, and whatever the other one was. I don't remember. They took pictures of Mennonites in their local community and put a PowerPoint on the wall and said, that's what we're talking about. That's what we mean when we say that is not acceptable. They played short clips from YouTube of music, concerts, CCM, 30 seconds, put them up there. That's what we're talking about. They knew what for music, they knew what for music to get. They knew what some of the people in the congregation were listening to because they, I don't know if it voluntarily came or they confiscated some of it. I'm not sure. But they knew what it was. They were specific. And he did this on these issues for three months, every Wednesday night. Even under protest by some that they were focusing too much on outward things. <clears throat> they became very specific in their proscriptions. They did not prescribe. Do you know the difference between a proscription and a prescription? Frank Reed teaches on this. Prescription means this is how you do it. This cut, this pattern, this color. That's a prescription. They did not do prescription. They did proscription. There are clear things that are out of bounds that we do not believe we want to have amongst us. We do not believe they are godly. They went very slowly and very gently. They allowed the brothers' questions to be answered. And their fears to be resolved as they went. They didn't move rashly. There was much open discussion. After three months, they were done. Or were they? One more thing needed. It's time to bring to the close. It's now decision time. Every brother, every father, every older youth needed to decide if they would embrace and support that clear decision or whether they would need to find a place where they could support the vision of that church. If anyone could not, please find a church in which you can fully support and blend into. Take time to decide, but decide.
three families left within the first month and one more did later. Now, you might ask, where is God in all of this? Well, after this time of trial for them, and it was a time of trial, it was a time of testing, a time of searching, and finally coming to conclusion, within six months, God came to that church. There was unity there. There was joy there. There was revival. And all those youth that were sitting that wouldn't respond to those strong messages began to respond without the messages. Because God was there. Now God was there before. But there was this unity there. And God is restricted in this unity. He hadn't left, but he's restricted. And what about those numbers that left those several families, dear souls as they were? It seemed as if the community was just watching for this crazy church to see what they would do. And once they saw what happened, people began to come. Within a few years, they needed to divide the congregation. Because clear, clearly God was there. God was moving. Leadership was given. The congregation was together. It had a powerful attraction to others. They were known initially in that community as being the church without rules. <laughs> to uh, where they were here today. Now, he assured me, they assured me that they still are in the battle. (laughs) God is there, but they still have issues. It doesn't resolve all their issues. Of course not. But it was a major battle that they won. You know, as I look back, we actually had a period of time at Harmony that we would call the golden years. And the golden years began soon after the, the, the 10 years or so of tension that existed in that congregation, when that finally was resolved, the golden years of harmony began. Is there a connection? I don't know. There's different views on that, but I know that that happened. <clears throat> Paul Weaver stated, he said, The power of a church is God, but the strength of a church is unity. A divided church is not a strong church. This unity always brings with it weakness. God dwells where there is oneness. Number four, the glory flows to God. In heaven, all glory goes to God. That's where the worship goes. That's where the praise goes. That's where the adoration goes. God dwells in the praise of his people. There's a verse that talks about God dwelling. I don't even can't, don't, can't quote it right now, but I know there's one there. But we men, we like glory. We like to feed our own eagle. Like a cat lapping up antifreeze, we lap it up. Uh, you know what antifreeze does to a cat. You know it won't do it too long. 
Well, neither will we. We lap it up. To God be the glory. Great things has he done. You know, it's he that saved us and not we ourselves. We don't have the light. We're only light reflectors. Sometime I want you to come to my place. You come over to my house and I want to show you how shiny my reflector is. I mean, I got this special cleaner and I scrubbed it for a long time and it is a really shiny reflector and I want you to see that sometime. You come to my house and I'll show it to you. I'll shine brighter than any of you. Sarcasm. Maybe not so far away from home as we think sometimes. We have a part to play. We do need to reflect the glory of God. But without him, we can do nothing, the Bible says. No man can come unto the Father except the Father draw him. By grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. He has blessed us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus did all the hard work. We do have a place to play. We do have some shoe leather like we heard this morning. We do have that. But Jesus did the hard work. He gets the glory. In heaven, all the glory goes to God. God dwells in heaven. God dwells on earth when the glory goes to him. Do you feel distant from God personally this morning? Maybe you should give God glory. Count your blessings and not your problems for once. Go in faith and not in feelings. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. Do we want the presence of God here at Oasis? Do we need the presence of God here? Do we have the presence of God here? God dwells where there is holiness, where there is light and openness, where there is oneness and unity, and where he is worshipped and glorified. Brothers and sisters, we are blessed. We are blessed this morning, but we have greater, much greater dimension than the presence of God amongst us to come. That's my vision, Warren, wherever you're at. That's my vision this morning, to have the presence of God in this place when we gather together. And God moves in his way of cleansing our hearts and worshiping and sending out Let us seek the Lord together. Where is thy flock? Thy beautiful flock. What is the condition of the flock at Oasis? May God be amongst us. And may God bless you.